Peter's come and joined us from the Canberra Alliance for Participatory Democracy, and I thought after, um, well, having the elections now, it would be a timely, timely bunch of people to come and talk. And I did, um, I did the numbers just before the election. I don't know if I did the right numbers, but I found that um, it's only once in about 861 days that we get to have a vote. And when we do have to get that voted, we're actually deciding on about 361 different issues that go through the parliament at once. And I don't know, that seems like a pretty tricky choice to make. But um, anyway, <laughs> over to you. Okay. So I didn't... Well, actually, to start with, I'd just like to acknowledge we're sitting here on Gunnawal country land and pay my respects and our respects to the elders past, present mm. and in emerging. Um, and acknowledging the it's Reconciliation Day and, you know, just factor that into the thing. And I'd also like to invite you all just to feel your connection to the table and through the table to the earth and through the earth to the solar system and out into the great universe of which we are part and enjoy your connection with it. But then back to the table. I didn't quite know where to pitch this because I didn't quite know how to come to but um, so what I thought I'd do is I'd give you a bit of history of Canberra Alliance for Participatory Democracy which I will either call CAPAD for short because that's easier um, or sometimes the Canberra Alliance but I'm not talking about the Canberra Alliance for Harmonisation and Advocacy I'm only talking about that Canberra Alliance for Participatory Democracy here tonight so we're a small community group and we're working for a democratic Canberra and as I talk through tonight I'll unpack what I mean by democratic Canberra but I'll just lay on the table at the beginning democracy is nothing to do with voting so a bit of our history we've been going since October 2015 and we were born out of a process that sea change ran in 2014 where they got lots of people to have kitchen table conversations and dozens of themes came out of the kitchen table conversations that people were worried about how the world was not working well or in the way that they thought it should be working and not delivering for us, the people, or the environment. But one of the common themes that we're running through this is it's a failure or a consistent series of failures of governance. Now, in parallel, I'm a GP by trade, I've worked in Alice Springs in Aboriginal Health for decades and working in Aboriginal Health you quickly get to realise that a while clinical medicine is incredibly important, analogy, really important putting on the band-aids for people who've come off the cliff, you've also got to take a public health approach which is thinking about how do you build fences across the top of the cliff or maybe even diverting people away from the cliff edge entirely. Um, and so that led me into public health. So I do a bit of clinical practice, a bit of public health. Being in public health led me to appreciate, of course, that without a functioning ecosystem, then you can't really have a healthy society. And so you need both a healthy ecosystem and a healthy society to have healthy people. And that is something that Frank Boyden at the Fenner School, I'm not Frank Boyden, Stephen Boyden at the Fenner School here has been talking about for ages, this, this idea of, you know, healthy people are underpinned by healthy society, underpinned by um, a healthy, well-functioning ecology. So 
that's sort of where I come. But in the process of doing a Masters of Climate Change at the Fenner School in 2010, it, you know, it really became clear to me it's this massive governance failure that is the problem. And so if we want to be doing something about all these things that we're worried about, all these things that don't quite seem right, then we need to work out how to fix government or governance. Now, there's two things. Government is the institution, but governance is the system whereby the decisions are made that lead to the outcomes somebody wants. Um, so that was one of the themes, or one of the sort of overriding themes that came out of that series of conversations that Sea Change had. And so that led a group of about 20 of us to work for about a year to set up the Canberra Alliance. And we called it for participatory democracy because we're using both the political science idea of sort of participatory democracy, but we also wanted to broaden it into this idea that the people should be involved in the decisions about how we're going to set up and run our society and what we're going to do to the planet and how we're going to look after each other and the other species and future generations. So that's sort of our take on participatory. So it's not the classic political science. So recognising that there are a whole lot of different problems, one of our ideas is if we were all putting a little bit of our time and effort into making um, the governance system work better, we all might achieve more of what we're all trying to do. We'll come back to that a bit at the end. So I guess what the Canberra Alliance wants to do is, is really to give a voice to and a means of taking action for people who want to put things right with the world. Um, and we want to help people being involved in shaping the political system so it delivers the outcomes that we collectively decide is what we want. And, you know, there's only sort of 10 of us active and another sort of 10 of us who are sort of interested. So it's the usual small community group thing. So we figured, well, let's just work on Canberra at the moment because we all live here. And so it really comes down to how do we help people get involved in working with the government and each other to make Canberra the place we want to all be living in. So by democracy, <clears throat> it's quite interesting. Democracy is one of these really interesting slippery words where it means different things to different people. And even within the Canberra Alliance, we're not totally, we don't have one unanimous view of democracy. But um, of all the little different views, the common element is that democracy is a governance system. So governance is, first of all, it, it's, it's a system. So I've got a bit of a diagram here to pass around. So it's a, it's a system. So if we think of governance as a system, yeah, there's, there's a set of rules. It's about agenda setting. It's about having some deliberation about the issues that come through the agenda, you know, what's the pros, what's the cons, what do we need to do, what do we bother not doing. Somebody makes a decision about it, somebody implements the decision, somebody monitors that to make sure that actually we're getting what we want, and then there's a, an oversight review process to make sure that um, the whole system is working well and we can fix the rules again. So from a participatory democracy point of view, we're thinking how do we get people input into each of those layers. Now I think realistic in the short term existing parliamentary structures aren't going to give up the take the decision bit. So we sort of accept that that's how it's going to be for society but we can work on getting 
people in. And then government are the people whose job it is to do the implementing um, because they've got the resources, we pay our taxes, they've got the infrastructure, and then we monitor how they're going. So that's our take on government. So at, at a pure form, with the taking of democracy, it's the people who are going to be affected by the outcomes of those decisions who should be making the decisions. So that's our sort of basic idea. But each of these actually have sets of decision points in them. So it's really how do you get the people who are going to be affected by the outcomes of all those decisions making those decisions or involved in making those decisions all the way along. Um, the other thing, our other take on this is that, is that and the other thing is I'm planning to talk for about 10 minutes, then we're going to have a big Q&A, so mm -hmm. if you just hold the question to them. So. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that in order to be democratic, um, a government has to be responsive, accountable, participatory and transparent. So political scientists, philosophers, um, whatever, have these sort of sets of, of values that they think are a marker, and, and if they are all present, then then the government is a, a good government, and this sort of democratic government, good government, one of those overlapping ideas. And so what we may mean by a government that's responsive, accountable, participatory and transparent is that policy and decision-making is open to everybody's voices. People are actually listened to, their ideas are responded to, and if the decisions come out differently, then there's some explanation back from the decision-takers about why, you know, what did you know that we didn't know, and why did you elect to make a difference? And so that all helps build into the accountability. Um, so the other tagline we use is democracy that can be participated in beyond voting. So that's sort of a bit of a theoretical background to the, to the Canberra Alliance. Um, the Alliance itself, I mean, we have a governing committee. Um, we can have up to 12 people on it. Currently there are about eight. Um, we've got a couple of standing subcommittees. Uh, we've got a communications and marketing subcommittee and a library and resources subcommittee. But most of our work happens through action groups. So we want to be not a group that sits around talking about how you do this, but we're sort of making it up as we go, out there doing it and seeing what works. And so we work through action groups and we have three action groups. We've got one called the Genuine Citizen Participation, and that's about improving ways for citizens to participate in creating this future we want. So it's working with citizens, and we'll talk a bit about what these groups do in a moment. There's our Connected Communities group, which is looking at how do we support other groups to better use and change the political system to get the ends that they want. And we have what's called an MLA, MLA Roles, Responsibilities and Relationships group. And within that group, we're looking at how do we more clearly define what the people's perspective of the role of representatives are in the government system and how can we work on a, a better relationship there. We're thinking about you know constituents, representatives as a relationship to have a sort of... Um, you know, dynamic, ongoing relationship which just doesn't happen in the week before the elections. And so it's about how do we change how MLAs think about this and how do we change how citizens think about this and how do we improve 
both people's capacity to have this good relationship. So in our sort of four-year history, we've, we've done a whole lot of things. We've actually prepared at Kitchen Table Conversations resource kit by taking the Sea Change one, polishing it up and putting it out there. Um, that's on our website so that people, groups of people, friends, neighbours can get together and have these sorts of conversations which hopefully will lead to them taking some action. Um, the ACT government over the last 12, 18 months has had four um, participatory processes. Um, there was the um, third party insurance citizens jury, there was the review of the carers ACT um, support system, there was the housing choices event and there was the better suburbs event. With ACT, ACT costs, ACT costs, we have looked at uh, created a set of principles. Well, if you're going to do these things, how do we, the people, know that government is doing it well? And then how do we feed that back to government to say, well, you know, you can do some of these things a bit better, maybe. Um, and so we're in the process of about to hand that over to the government for their uh, perusal, and then it will be on our website. Um, out of that, we've uh, hosted a set of dinners for democracy, um, or Voice of the Participants event, where we've got to talk to people who are involved um, particularly in the Better Suburbs and the Third Party Insurance Citizens Juries to ask them what they thought about being part of this process and what they learnt and what they thought was good about it and wasn't bad about it. And basically, they all had fun. They all thought they got to feel much more empowered about their plot role in, in society and they'd be really keen to do it again. In 2016, we held a Festival of Democracy, a DemFest, um, where we just basically did a bit of theorising around how we can do democracy better in Canberra and that led to some the formation of some of the action groups. Um, during 2018, um, we've been working with the Canberra Uni's um, Centre for Deliberative Democracy and Global Governance and with the ACT government to run something which is called Deliberate ACT, which is a bit of a community of practice in the ACT around people who are trying to do deliberative democracy better and work out, well, there's this body of theory, how do we do it? Um, and as part of that, we developed the Participatory Democracy Kit, um, which is basically for MLAs to give them a bit of an idea about, well, if you want to do this sort of stuff, here's some ideas about how you might do it well. That's about to get revised. Um, we also seem to have developed an interesting um, relationship with the Chief Minister's Strategic Engagement and Communications team um, because they keep wanting to ask us about how you do this stuff, so we're really quite happy to work with them about how they can do this better. And through that, we've actually got involved in helping them establish the engagement strategy for the ACT plan review. So we're not playing with the review, we're thinking if you want to do this review properly, this is what the things you need to do to have a good engagement. How, how are you going to get the people in and empower them to participate meaningfully in this process so we get a good outcome, rather than you've decided what you're going to do and this is a sort of a window dressing exercise, we don't want to be part of that. If that looks like what's going to happen, we're out. But while it appears that you know these public servants, they are struggling with how to how do you get your brain around doing this because it's a new way of operating for them. But they seem to want to learn. 
The other thing we did in both 2016 and the election last week is we ran um, a set of candidate statements where we give all the candidates a questionnaire that basically asks them, well, you know, what do you think in your life experiences, you know, fits you to be the job of our representative? If you become a representative, how are you going to keep an ongoing dynamic relationship with us going between now and the next election? Um, if you become our representative, do you support, you know, a federal ICAC, open diaries, limits to campaign contributions, all the sort of things that they're really keen about? And we've got a charter of democratic commitments, which is basically they're going to be honest and not take bribes and not rot the public system and all those sorts of things. And of the candidates in the 2016 ACT election, 15 of our current 25 MLAs signed up to that. Um, and in the last federal election, unfortunately, we had two Greens, a Christian Democrat and a Australian Progressive and um, the independent Tim Bohm in Canberra who signed up to it. The two major parties boycotted the exercise. Um, and I think a lot of the other independents and small parties just didn't have the capacity. And who knows what the United Australia Party was thinking. And so... Um, as a consequence of that, we've also, after the 2016 ACT election, we're going back to all the MLAs, asking them, well, you know, you've been, you're about just over halfway through your term in government, what do you reckon about being a representative? What have you learned? What do you think you'd do differently? And so hopefully by the end of the year we'll have something published on that. So quickly then, just to sort of run through um, some other things that we're doing currently. So. Uh, the Connected Communities Group, as well as working with the Environment Sustainable PDD, whatever that directorate in the... Sustainability, what is it? It's Environment Sustainability... I can't remember what P... Planning and Development Directorate. Mm -hmm. um, we're doing that, Kerry Payne. We're working with the ACT um, Chief Ministers... Um, mob who are trying to set up an ACT wellbeing index so that they can start looking at more things than just GDP as a way of measuring what, you know, how good Canberra is. Um, we're looking at getting some community suburb level processes for going to begin to work out what people want Canberra to look like and then work out how we put that into the um, political system and we're using what's called an asset based community development approach to that. Um, the citizens, genuine citizen participation, they're continuing to do this deliberate ACT participatory democracy thing with Muni of Canberra and the ACT government. And again, we're going to be putting out some results of our assessment. Well, it's not really an assessment. It's a, it's, we haven't done a proper assessment of the citizens' jury processes last year, but we're going to put out a bit of an opinion about it. Um, we did offer for a fee to do a proper assessment for it, but that didn't happen. Um, and with the MLA Roles and Responsibilities Group, what we're looking at here is is really th three strands. We're looking at elections, and we're going to be running the candidate statements again at future elections. And so in the lead up to next year's election in October, we're going to be working, you know, perhaps revising the statement and looking at a better way of getting that publicised. Um, we're working with representatives to get them to think about their role. So the MLA interviews not only to find out what they think is, but also hope to find out what they think now, but also make them think about how it might be different. 
and then we're also going to be holding conversations with groups of citizens to think about well, what do citizens think a good relationship would look like and then hopefully build a mechanism, co-design a mechanism with citizens and MLAs and anyone else who's interested to, to look at how you might build a better representative system. Because I think although people talk a lot about direct democracy and, and several alternatives, the difficulty is that when you get more than about 300 people in a decision-making system, it just gets cumbersome. And there are all sorts of dangers with getting um, you know, tyranny and oppression by minorities of majorities or majorities of minorities. Whereas if you can build a deliberative system where people are all talking together around tables and you get the representation right, you probably get wiser decisions that take much better um, account of the bigger picture and the common directives rather than having everybody just voting on you know what they think in their living room on their computer is what's good for them what's good for me in this you know we'll, we'll go that way then supporting all that um, as I said we're trying to get a library going um, where at you know as the opportunity arises supporting you know reform activity like federal integrity commissions election and political party donation reforms and all that sort of stuff. Um, and we have a low social media profile on Facebook and Twitter. So um, that's most of I want to, want to say about us. Um, a couple of other sort of philosophical issues. We, we want to work by building collaborations with other groups who are sort of working in this space. There seems to be a reasonable good overlap with Co Canberra, what you're trying to do, um, and think about how we might do more, just depending on our own capacities. Um, we have a sort of philosophy of turning sort of the current system of power over to power with, um, which is why we talk about co-creation and co-design of systems. Um, and we think that working together um, we can actually, you know, actively working together, we can create or co-create a, a system that we all want to live in to get the outcomes to fix whatever it is that we're worried about in the world. So that's what I want to say. So I'm happy to answer any questions if you have any questions. It's interesting that you're boycotted by some people. <laughs> Not really when you think about it. Not, not surprising. <laughs> Interesting, but maybe not surprising. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, have, in your group, um, have you been having conversations, I know I, I um, noticed you said that you have a library that yeah. you thought, um, about the issues around, uh, I guess, the media and information and misinformation and how that feeds into democratic systems. And I mean, do you think the, the deliberative mechanism is sort of the space to intervene, to sort of, to assist Yeah, that. yeah, it, it, the, the question is where can we intervene? Mm. We can't really control the Murdoch Press or the ABC even or anything mm. like that. So um, people are going to be bombarded by these messages from pressure groups. Mm. But I think when you come to actually the point of making a decision, if you create that deliberative space, mm. so people can bring whatever prejudices they have from the, the news media mm. into that space, but then they get you know, evidence-based information mm. from experts who are there to provide the information but not make the decision, mm. 
they get well-facilitated mechanisms to have the conversations they need to have the conversations to talk through the issues and come up with the options instead of jumping straight to solutions which people are really good at doing mm. and then working through which of the possible options would be the better option in terms of you know us here now um, the rest of the natural world and future generations yeah. and therefore making a wise decision mm -hmm. now there's no guarantee that every decision will be the best decision or even that every decision will necessarily be a good decision because people stuff up. Yeah. But the nature of most decisions that governments make over time is they're iterative. Mm. So again, if you have the decision implementation monitored and you start to realise you're having some unintended consequences, you can yeah. loop back. So I think, yeah. yeah, given that deliberative space creates mm. probably the best framework we've got. Mm. And it's the idea decisions. that they're kind of quite curated in the sense that um, yeah. that that's because yeah it's it's interesting to think of that as a counterpoint to the kind of social media echo chamber mm. where people feel like they're having a lot of conversations mm. but it's a lot of reinforcing of existing yes. things so to have a kind of more closely curated deliberative space yeah. So yeah. and the idea is to bring in lots of different opinion. Mm lots and and you know there are there are various ways of doing representation into those groups so that you've got you know gender representation and yeah. age representation and you know interest different interest groups so that you can get those working together are there any countries that you know of around the world that have successfully introduced the deliberative democracy sort of thing well there's no country at a nation state level that runs um, you know, deliberatively, but there are lots of countries around the world and even sub-countries, so we're talking about counties and towns and cities that are running deliberative processes or participatory processes across a whole range of things. Even here in Sydney, in um, Australia, the Melbourne City Council a few years ago ran a deliberative process for their um, city council budget or for the discretionary part of their city council budget and came out with some really good outcomes. And, I mean, one of the interesting outcomes was that all the citizens involved said, you need to put the rates up. You don't have enough money to do what we want you to do. <laughs> and the council said, we can't do that. People won't like it. People won't like it. <laughs> um, or maybe the big businesses won't like it. But anyway, they eventually did put the rates up a bit. So, but the fascinating thing with getting people involved in the budgeting process is that if you actually have control of the purse strings, you get some real power. Now, it's up to government. You know, governments always set these processes up. So to some extent, they can control somewhat what the outcome will be. So like with the citizens' jury process here, or the, no, the third-party um, insurance thing, the government you know, set the process up to run in a particular way, but the jurors were really clear that they'd been set up and so they were able to take that into account when they reported back. And they were able to say, well, look, you know, were it not for the way you set it up, this is what we would recommend. But given that this is how you set it up, this is what we recommend. And it's as sort of as close to that wall as we can, we can squeeze. <laughs> um, but, you know, Ireland, with, they've had their deliberative processes to get um, gay marriage and abortion and changing the Irish constitution to um, take the power of the church out of the civil system there. Um, and I can, there are lots of other examples, but I just can't name them at the moment. So it, it's, it's an emerging thing. Yeah.
Were you encouraged by the Kevin Rudd People Council, whatever he had when he first came in, or um, it was more phony? I think that was an attempt to do something. Um, and had the global financial crisis not happened, it might have been really interesting to see where that went. Um, but unfortunately, it got sort of circumvented. Um, and it... I mean, it's interesting because also a few years before, um, New Democracy Foundation actually had a similar process in Parliament House where they got people... And they came up with a whole set of, of recommendations about how we could make government in Australia better. Um, and that also then hit the global financial... Well, no, not the global... Another... There was some other political crisis. And well, the, the disappointing thing, I guess, was the Uluru Statement where they did had this conversation, they came up with a statement, and then it was rejected anyway, you know, as a... Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people were... are bitterly disappointed. But, you know, just my reading of the literature is, I mean, that, that's a waypoint. And the statement's still sitting there, and it's still usable, and people are organising. So I don't think we need another deliberative process around the Uluru Statement. It would be really fascinating to have a set of deliberative processes about, well, OK, how do we make this happen? How do we, what has to happen to change the way mainstream Australian politics and the economy works so we are, can actually deliver, recognise what's happening in the past, deliver for the future and close the gap? Yeah, I think it's... What disappointed me about the election is how many people just seem to vote on, on the bottom line if, if they manage to get another $26 in their pocket by voting this way versus thinking about bigger issues, then they, they, they were just very prone just going for the $25 in their pocket, which is, you know, just... Well, you know... Yeah. I mean, I think... Uh, I mean, I personally think that the outcome of this election is a lot more complex than that. I mean, sure, there are, there are people who think that way. You know, I'm going to get a $26 tax cut down the deck and I'll ignore the fact that the guy at the other end of the street is going to get a $150,000 tax cut because um, I'll get my $26. But I think if you... I mean, just reading the commentary for the last eight days, the number of different opinions about what went right and what went wrong, I think... There was a multitude of factors, and I think rather than the Labor Party jumping to a whole lot of conclusions about what went wrong, they would be wise to spend several months thinking this through and and actually seeing what trickles out of... Do you think that there's also um, something in, in the work that you do, some benefit to having, um, you know, these kinds of workshops, these at you know, for people at the high school level who yes. are going to be emerging first-time voters because something, you know, I teach first-year university mm. students and so I'm, I, I often see them doing, going from that transition from high school education to university and I think it would be really great to see a little bit more of that, um, uh, I guess, those conversations had um, with students to say that, you know... Yeah this is how the whole mechanism works um, and yeah. this is how you can have your opinion represented or not. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, we... The sea Change was running a youth parliament on um, sustainability 
and we were talking to Sea Change about how we can actually bring this governance aspect into it because it's all very well talking about sustainability, but if you actually want to change the world, you've got mm. to understand how the political system works. Yeah. So that was the practical thing we were trying to do. They unfortunately don't have any... Their grant to continue to run this program wasn't renewed, mm. um, and so we're still looking for money to how we can do this. Mm. But I think at another level, you've also hit the nail on the head because if... if and I think it's called civics or civics education, mm. was built into... I mean, you can probably do it from about year four onwards mm. because by year four you're beginning to understand a bit mm. about how this works. Yeah. And you do it at... You know, at that stage you just tell people about, you know, this is how the government system works. Mm. And so that they get to understand that mm. and they get to understand what voting is. And then in junior high you can start to talk about, you know, participant... Um, you know, preferential voting and proportional preferential voting and all those sorts mm. of systems. So, they, And then working through, and then in end of high school, in, in um, you can actually start running um, a much more in-depth analysis and getting people mm. to think about stuff. And and you can model participatory and, and deliberative systems all the way through high school mm. by getting people to involve and learn experientially how they work. I mean, I think you could do a wonderful curriculum. Mm. And I think as well... That you know, as you were saying as well about that shift between, um, you know, what you vote for. Do you vote for back pocket mm. sort of politics or are you thinking about a collective vision mm. of society and yeah. um, modelling those deliberative processes um, and encouraging people from a younger age to imagine a world and, and a system that they want to be a part of? You can't help but think that might help um, that to become more of, you know more influential in shaping how you vote if you start to imagine a yeah, society. Yeah, I mean, it's a good analogy to think about we're immunising them against the political hype mm. and the sort of electioneering that mm. we have, that they'll come out and they'll see that and they'll recognise it for what it is. Mm. Yeah. I agree. Good stuff. So one of the things that I've noticed, and there's a fair school of thought on it, is that... We've, we've done a lot of work on democracy and the political sort of side of society, but as soon as you go to work, you sort of take your democracy off and hang mm. it on the little peg at the door and you walk in and you're in something completely the opposite of democratic, really. Have you, have you guys considered economic democracy or anything like that at all? Um, so the Canberra Alliance hasn't um, directly thought about that individuals among us have thought about that. I mean, I don't know if any of you have come across Tarkas Fotopoulos. No. no. So he's a, he's a sort of a reformed Marxist um, who must be in his 80s. But he thinks about democracy as being political democracy, economic democracy, by which he means the workplace, um, social democracy, by which he means football clubs, family democracy, and ecological democracy. So there are these five realms of democracy. And if a a, um, a society is to be truly democratic, it has to be democratic in all those things. So his critique of the Soviet Union is it went for economic democracy, in theory, but didn't worry about the rest of them. So it didn't challenge the patriarchy, didn't challenge... Um, well, and then set up a, an autocratic, you know, political system... And so that was one of the reasons he has for its failure. Mm. So you're right, we've got to work it through the whole fabric. Trying to 
have a three-year-old child, so imagining a democratic family is a bit of a terrifying prospect. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, you're right. You're not going to give the three-year-old that many options, but you can model in your conversations with your partner, perhaps, yeah. if assuming you have a partner here, yeah. but yeah. that, you know, this is how a family works and reaches decision points. Mm. So, you know, when they're three, they're in a learning phase. Mm. When they get to three, you can give them small decision points. You just have yeah. got to have a tight menu. Yeah. You know, <laughs> wear that or that. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And so, and then they will grow into freedom, understanding mm. that, you know, they've got okay. some freedom, and then by the time they get to sort of 14, well, it's going to be entirely mm. different. Okay, so, and again, it's so it's like about the process, about yeah. within each context processes yeah. that are, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it depends a lot. Our daughter's 12 now, mm. and I've done my best to bring that in, but the, the structure of schooling that you mm. choose to use will, will feed into what you can do in the family mm. significantly. Yeah. Um, people who do homeschooling, mm. they can set the whole thing up so that it's modelling the whole thing as a, a, a democracy whereas we've just gone down the public school route mm. and there's a lot of things that are just decided for you. You've got to be at school at a certain time. Yeah. You have to do this amount of homework. You have yeah. to do this. And that comes down to us as the responsibility to force her to do that stuff. Mm. And that's where all of our conflict comes from, yeah. and the stuff that we've been forced to make her force mm. to do. And, yeah, I, I hate it. Mm. So I think we made the wrong decision. Mm. There's no going back now. Yeah. yeah, she's like got her mates in the school. She's not going anywhere. Thank you. Mm, yeah. It is what it is. We just got to make the best of it. Yeah. I mean, so much of schooling seems to be what the philosophy of the headmaster and the head teachers are, because there are schools who do practice and play with some sort of democracy. I mean, yeah. democracy is about making decisions within a set of circumstances. So, to some extent, the education department is a set of circumstances, and it's at a at a a structural system level of society into which we all have to sort of fit. Um, so it is possible to change that system. So, I mean, there's lots of work been coming out recently that, you know, teenagers shouldn't get up before 9 o'clock in the morning and they shouldn't hit school until 11 because their brains just don't work for that first four hours. And it would be much better if they were there from 11 to sort of 5. Mm. Um, they'd learn more, there'd be less hassles. Um, but, you know, it, it it's... It's this body of how you do the change to move the system. And it's all about moving systems. Mm. So, and that's up to then parents, be prepared to get together, to form collectives, to work on the schools and the education department. And so it's part of, it's, it's all part of that same long-term, how do we want to create the world that we want to live in? Well, okay, sub, subset schooling, subset high schools, you know, we need to fix that. Because mm. high schools, I mean, one of, one of the theories is schooling was set up to prepare people for working in factories. So you wanted someone who had a little bit of literacy, a little bit of numeracy, and was um, habituated into getting up, you know, going to work, coming home. Following what you're told. Doing yeah. what you're told. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very much, and you can see that lingering on. Mm. Now, another comment, I guess, on the schooling thing that I've got, I got kicked out of my high school because I wouldn't do what I was told. But I went to a school called School Without Walls after that, and that sort of really changed the the trajectory of my life because it was a completely democratic school. Um, it was run by the students. Every every morning you'd have an hour session set aside for everybody to come, and you would just run through the agenda, do the business of the school, and, and 
off it went. Mm. That ran for over 30 years until Kate Carnell closed it down due to ideological differences. And um, yeah, yeah, it's succumbed to government funding, but we'd definitely be keen to start something like that up again. That's The blue gum's a little bit like that, isn't it? The blue gum, and blue gum is uh, Emilio Reggio. I think you've got that right. Um, I think you got that right. Don't know that they're following that exactly. No, um, they're much more about well, not learning through a curriculum, but through projects, I believe. So you, you set a project of, I don't know, let's look at the universe or something. Yeah. And through that, you would weave in the curriculum yeah. to that. Um, but as for running the school, I imagine just it's all decided by the board. I think maybe the parents have quite a lot of input, I'm not sure. They may, yeah, I really don't know enough to comment. The thing that sort of strikes me with your plan, Peter, also is that um, the people, like community groups, there's always the very small number who are active who will get participating in it and be um, very energetic. And then because they have their, 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 their philosophy and their barrow to push, and then there'll probably be something another group who are sort of pretty much opposed to whatever this is because they want to make sure you don't get your way and it's and it's the active the minority few active people who are get involved and do it i guess the alternative is to have something like a, a jury system where you know people get selected almost mm. randomly for, for for comments to be part of this deliberative yeah. process yeah I mean, I think that's a really good example because the jury system is one of the few, you know, um, selection by representative sampling from the community that we have left in our society. But, I mean, th there's lots written about how you can actually run government without parliaments. Um, but you do have to have some structure for making the decisions and reaching those decisions. and. Um, and one of the, because voting or, or elections is one of the um, ways of choosing representatives, but there's also sortition, which is this idea of your name gets pulled out of the hat, which is what we use for the jury system. And, you know, in classical Athens is the best example we all know about where um, lots of the, um, the magistrates and the, and the senior public servants had their names pulled out of a hat. And you did it for a day if it was incredibly demanding. You might do it for half a year if it wasn't so demanding or a whole year, but but you got turned over and then you, you couldn't do it again for a period of time. Um, I mean, ultimately, it would be nice to get there in our system, but we're going to have to evolve like just our... sounds like being competent people because it'll probably mm. take you a week to get to know what you're doing. And then, you know, yeah, and, but you can you build may, in... At the moment, you've got that, but you don't have any choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Consistent. And, 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 and people talk about that there are lots of things that people talk about to make sure that, you know, you've got some corporate knowledge so you don't turn over everybody on the same day. Mm. You know, you turn over people. And then the third way of getting in, of course, is volunteers, which is sort of the system we've got now. You volunteer, and then from the volunteers, you elect the volunteers. There's nothing ipso facto wrong with that. It depends, really, whether you want an election or a, a random selection, um, and whether you allow volunteers to come up or you just take them from the community, depends a bit on what the job is you want these people mm -hmm. to do. So if they're having conversations about the future we want and they're making the decision about that future, then um, 
you know, random selection of a group of citizens, 30 to 40, as long as you made, made sure they were cut and diced the right way so you got a good representative sample, and that was facilitated. So even if there were incompetent people in there, one or two incompetent people isn't going to break the whole system. There would be trained people in there who knew how to run the system so that... Because even incompetent people have valid opinions about some things. I was more referring to the Greek one than the old... Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, you build in... I mean, I don't actually know how the Greeks did this, but presumably if there was somebody who was, you know, totally incompetent, they would have a mechanism for... But also might it have been because they're pool was far more homogenous because you couldn't be a slave, you yes. couldn't be a woman yes. you had to, like, so their interests yeah. were Probably far more aligned yes. and so yeah. they were like yeah. Yeah. That's, right. that's true Yeah. I guess the other thing I've thought about with the, the sortition process and just drawing people out of the community is that you will have people who have experience on the ground whereas today we've almost got a, a class of politicians of these volunteers who put themselves forward and, and labour side, they might come up through the union movement on the liberal side, they'll come straight out of the private schools and into the Liberal Party. So with the sortition one, it's the bloke down the road, he works for a living, he's, he's like the rest of us a lot more than people who are consistently volunteering to go into a, a system yeah. like that. And he may well have a, a voice that he's never considered sharing with anyone because it's just not on his landscape to do so. Mm. Absolutely. But put in the right spot. Yeah. Um, now, I guess on the, um, on the odd sort of things, sortition and stuff, have you, have you come across the, the, uh, the sort of democracy systems that are coming out of B behaviour? Um, I've heard something, but I haven't actually looked at it closely. Yeah, right. Uh, some of the talks from the uh, the New Economy Network of Australia conferences deal with that. And it's, uh, it's really interesting. People are trying to modify the behaviour of bees, how a swarm of bees will send scouts out to different, um, different places for that swarm to go to, and they have a fairly tight deadline before they all die to actually go and find that. And the method they use is... The bees will go out and like 5% of the bees will go out and look, they'll come back and they'll do their little dance and the dance will tell where this thing is, but it, it's sort of the, the enthusiasm of the dance that sort of tells all the other bees how good they think this thing is. So then another 5% of the bees will go out and have a look at the same ones and they'll come back. And you know, someone will be doing the dance for the, the tree hollow over there, and someone will be doing the dance for the chimney over here. And That's as amazing. they go, they'll look at the different ones and they'll come back and start doing the dance. So it's like a dance off, basically. Well, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, rap battle. Yeah. <laughs> but as, as it comes towards a certain threshold mm. of, of majority, they'll just go, right, well, that's good enough. We'll go to that one. Yeah. And apparently the accuracy of this thing is astounding. It's like well over 90%, but they're actually choosing the best things. Yeah. There's a few others that I can't explain. So. You also mentioned asset-based community development. What's that? Right. I didn't bring my slide, but... Um, uh, just in a nutshell. Yeah. So we, it works off the principle that any group of people have a set of capacities and knowledge and skills and ideas. 
and rather than assuming that somebody doesn't know anything, you actually start with the fact that people do have these things and you work out what they have. And then you think, okay, well, look, if this is where we want to get to, how do we harness these skills and knowledges and assets to move ourselves there? You know, what don't we know or what do we know that we don't know that we might get some help doing? And then you build on it that way. And it's an iterative process. So that's about what I know. <laughs> cool. Yeah, well, it looks like these guys are packing up and we're in their place, so we should probably wind it. Is there anything anyone else would like to add or yourself? Um, no, just thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much for listening and thank you very much for your um, questions. Thank you. Thank you. Is there a way to get involved? Yes. Um, uh, and a website. There is a website, canberralliance.org.au. And we have committee meetings once a month, which are fairly boring. Um, but we're also quite happy for people to come along and just listen. Um, and <laughs> You didn't really I, sell it in the first instance by saying it was boring. <laughs> the committee meetings are boring. <laughs> but, but what I was then going to say is there's a link on the website to the action groups. And so if you want to get involved in one of the action groups, mm -hmm. then you can go to that page and each action group has a, has a sort of a page describing what it does and what it did last year and what it hopes to do this year. Um, and then if you send secretary at cameraalliance.org.au That information's up. That information is on the contact us on the website. Mm -hmm. Then, and say, look, I want to join this action group. Who do I talk to? Then we'll send you information to say, okay, this is the person you talk to. And the next meeting is, now, is then. Thank you very much, Peter. No worries. Thank you. So um, you're talking about the uh, accountability of yeah. um, people we select to represent us. And how does that, I mean, if they don't do it well, we don't vote again. But That's how the current system works, yes. Yeah, and what, what sort of proposal was more? Well, again, p part of the co-design of the mechanism is we haven't got too far ahead of ourselves here. But in an ideal world, if somebody didn't seem to be doing what you wanted them to do, there would be one, some way of meeting with them and saying, hey, look, you know, I, I thought, or we thought we had this agreement that this is how you were going to represent us. And, you know, you're looking at your last three decisions in Hansard, you're not doing it. What's going on here that we need to know about? Mm. And how are you going to do it differently? And, um, and so that, you know, there's some active monitoring just informing that we're not happy well, as a part of a group. Well, yeah. But, the, I mean, the other thing is if we went down and had a system in the Canberra electorates like Voices for Indi, then they actually, by a series of community meetings, select the candidate. So it's not like a political party has selected the candidate, the community has selected the candidate. So they own the candidate in a much more direct and fundamental way. Therefore the relationship is set up quite differently. And so if we were to do something like that, so if we've got, you know, five electorates of five candidates each, maybe each electorate could get at least one candidate like this up, so they would be in the mix. Um, but at the same time, we want to work with the MLAs. So at the moment, it might be this, you know, retrospective, you know, you aren't doing right. But if we can actually build a, a good relationship with all the candidates, hopefully we can get them to be listening to us more directly in advance saying well this is this is where we want you to be taking decisions on us and we want to be involved in these 
you know, agenda setting and pre-decision deliberative processes so that when you get to make the decision, you're pretty clear on what we want and we have all collectively decided what it is that we want for you to be pretty clear about. So, you know, th it's a transitional thing. We're building a system here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I paid it tight. Thank you very much. Thank you, Scotty. Yeah. The same for you, Scotty. Some really yes. good stuff here. Yes.